Well, hi, everybody. It's great to see everybody again. Welcome to the inaugural episode of our new podcast, Teamwork, A Better Way. I'm Christian Napier and joined by my illustrious co-host, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? It's been a while. It has been a while, and I am so great and so glad to be back with you. It has been many, many months. I think it was May the last time we actually got together for a podcast. Yeah, well, I think both of us have been a bit, well, a little bit busy since then. Uh, me working on the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games and you going around the world and speaking and and advising and coaching and mentoring and training people. So it's nice to get back here at the end of 2021. A few things have changed since then, haven't they? Out, no doubt about it. And it's actually one of the reasons why you know you and I have been talking during this time let's let's just hold off for a little bit and you know we we've gone through an entire rebrand and and it, you know it's a slightly different focus when we when we started it was right in the march of of 2020 when the pandemic it, it really happened we started out of the gate and and i remember those first podcasts and we were like this is going to end do you remember that and we didn't know if it was going to be one month or two months we were hoping gosh it, it if it's six months, we're all in big trouble. And here we are, 18 months, how, what are we, almost 19, 20 months later? And we are really now in a situation where this pandemic has become endemic. And so it's just, it, it's changed how we work, how we think, how we operate. And so we wanted to be able to, to bring to you, our, our listeners, just some tools that would really help with how teams are working together now, because there are so many different dynamics. Yeah, we have seen uh, uh, a radical transformation of work over the last year and a half, and people are doing things different ways. And, and it looks like in some respects, Spencer, people are never gonna go back to the way things used to be. And so, we're, new, we're living in a new reality, and because of that, we thought it would be a good idea to take a fresh approach to our podcast and look at things from a better way, which is why we titled it Teamwork, A Better Way. No, no doubt about it. And we've learned a lot, and we're going to be talking about that you know, in the weeks and, and months to come. It is, as you say, never going to go back. And and some people are are maybe like, wow, I just we, we want it to go back. And others are like we've now gotten a taste from what for what it's like to work from home and to 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 now have those relationships close by and the connections we have with our family. And so, having some of that freedom and flexibility in how we work is something that um, is really going to be. Uh, something that will continue. So how do we then navigate that as teams? And we will be digging into that. But I, I want to put that on hold for a little bit because those that's going to continue. You know, Christian, you you have been knee, you know steeped knee deep in in Olympics. Not only the the 2020, which we had in August in Tokyo, but in a period of less than six months, we've got another one that you're preparing for it. I just wanted to make sure we captured that that moment before it's gone of what you learned from we're talking about a major event on the world stage during a, a pandemic. I just I just want to hear what that was like. 
Uh, unique would be an interesting word, I guess, to describe it. it was a very, very different Olympic Games, and we could talk for hours about all the differences. It was incredibly challenging, but COVID-19 also brought some opportunities for the International Olympic Committee and the Olympic movement as a whole to kind of rethink and challenge their assumptions and do things a better way, which is a great tie-in to what we're talking about on our podcast, doing things a better way. <laughs> right. So exactly. So, so what were some of, I mean, what did you have to do differently? I mean, cause you've been doing this for almost 20 years since, you know, 2022, right at the, uh, the, the Salt Lake Olympics. So yeah, what so was so different? Like 2002 games. Uh, well, number one, uh, there were no spectators in Tokyo. And so that, that caused a massive paradigm shift for many different areas in the organizing committee, uh, Number two, a lot of international people were not able to travel to Tokyo because of the travel restrictions. And so uh, Tokyo 2020 had to rely on a smaller workforce domestically or located physically in Tokyo, but also rely on a larger workforce distributed around the world in order to deliver the games. Uh, in my very small piece of that puzzle, uh, we were responsible for managing the interpretation of press conferences. And we used a lot of interpreters who were deployed remotely around the world. We had interpreters in North America, South America, Europe, and Asia, all in different time zones who were interpreting press conferences over Microsoft Teams. And uh, it was the first time that anything had been done like that in an Olympic Games. And I can tell you that in some respects, it was incredibly challenging, but uh, I think it's gonna be the way of the future. People are going to do more and more of this remote interpretation and save the cost of having to fly a lot of interpreters overseas, pay for accommodation, ground transportation, food and beverage, and so on and so forth. Uh, it was, a, it was a really, really interesting, challenging, but super rewarding experience. That is so cool. I mean, I just think about, you know, what you were saying and you're saying, you know, they had a smaller workforce locally, but a bigger workforce globally. And that is absolutely a microcosm of what's happening worldwide right now in 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 teams and how they're working you know my my son-in-law has a, a company and it's a you know it's a decent sized little company they have several hundred employees and many of them are working abroad and what they're finding now is that their employees in india or wh wherever they're working are now being having opportunities to work with major organizations that hadn't considered a far-flung or a remote workforce. And it, it's creating more competition for the best workers all over the world because you can choose wherever you want to live today, which is part of the, you know, the, the, how teams are going to be working. You get to say, you know, where do I want to be? What's the, what's best for my family? And, and we've proven that we can, run organizations, run teams, run huge projects like the Olympics in this type of, of, of environment. 
Well, Spencer, in your day-to-day -day work, I mean, you could be one day on a conference with someone in Panama and another day in a conference with someone in Pakistan. I mean, <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you are able to help people around the globe in ways that you probably couldn't have done 18 months or two years ago. Well, so, you know, I had to, we, we talked about this and cataloged this in our, in our previous podcast where, you know, we just had to get from the mindset of, of having to be in the room. Now I still like to be in the room and, and I, and I want to hear from you because I'm pretty sure that this Olympics was different than any other for the, for the competitors, right? Just not having that live audience makes a, a difference. We can do this remotely. We can compete. We can train, do all this stuff remotely. Um, but there's just something that happens by, by being live. But we had to adapt. And for one of the things that I've done is I, you know, I created a studio from my home. I've been working at, at, from home for six years. But I would travel to the clients and meet with them, and we would have those great opportunities to be, um, you know, to be one-on-one uh, -on -one or one-on-many. But now I'm having the opportunity to be able to be in Pakistan, and then the very next hour, I mean, I can speak in South America. It's interesting. This um, just tomorrow, I'll be I'll be speaking to an association in New York in the morning for two hours. And then in Nuevo Leon, Mexico, um, in the evening. And then on Saturday morning, I am kicking off um, an international leadership conference with, a, with my co-host in New Zealand, in Wellington, New Zealand. And he and I are going to be doing what we're doing to an audience that is absolutely worldwide from uh, what's called the LIMC Alumni for Project Management Institute. And so there's going to, you know, there's f over 500 alumni that will be coming in for a day-long conference, and I get to kick that off with my co-host, and, and that's amazing. Right after that, I'm speaking in Buenos Aires. Um, right after that, I can't even remember where, oh, I'm speaking in Vancouver for a, a, a conference. And so I'm able to attend all these different conferences, albeit virtually. Yeah, you know, that virtual aspect for us ex extended to journalists in Tokyo 2020 because not all of the media were able to actually travel to Tokyo and see the games. And so they were able to actually participate in press conferences remotely. They were able to ask questions through Microsoft Teams, through the chat, and the press conference moderator was able to take questions from the chat and then ask those questions of the team, you know, you know, the coach or the athlete. And so journalists from around the world were able to, to actually participate and engage with athletes remotely in a way that hadn't really been done before at that scale. You know, we're talking about Olympic Games, the largest multi-sport event on the planet, highest profile major sport event on the planet, and people being able to engage from wherever they were. So it was really, really interesting to see how uh, the journalists were able to to leverage this new technology and this new approach to actually make connections with coaches and athletes around the world. And what do you think was the was the impact? I mean, how did how did that change things? I mean, just the experience, for example, the the coaches and the athletes. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think in some respects, 
people missed having uh, a physical connection, a personal connection, actually being in the same room with a coach or an athlete to ask a question, uh, to be able to follow up. Uh, so that was very difficult, I think, for some people. And, uh, you know, from an, from an interpretation standpoint, sometimes it was challenging because uh, you're not in the room, so you couldn't necessarily see uh, the journalists who were asking questions because they weren't on camera. You just had a camera, you know, focused on the on the table where the, or the podium uh, where the journalists or, or excuse me, where the delegations were, were seated. Um, and so in some respects, it was more challenging. In other respects, like I said, it was more accessible because people from around the world, uh, people from around the world could engage and, and ask questions. Yeah, I mean, we, we just got to get used to this new format, right? We got to get comfortable with it. We have to, like you and I, I mean, we're, we're testing out new technology here and, and there's a learning curve. And in the beginning, it's a, it's a little awkward, but you know, if, if, if the conditions exist on your team where you can experiment and try new things and see what works and, and see what doesn't, then that's, you know, it's actually an opportunity for, for team engagement to go up and satisfaction to go up because one of the things that, that helps with that engagement and satisfaction is, is learning, it's growth, it's personal development. So here we have an opportunity to learn something new and do something differently. And, and we're not good at it right away, right? I mean, anytime you do something new for the first time, it's, we're not expert at it. And uh, so it, it, it feels a little uncomfortable. And that's added to maybe initially some of the anxieties and stress that we've been experiencing. But over time, that will, will diminish. And satisfaction goes up because we've learned something new. And now we have new competencies. I'm just rambling here, so... <laughs> but but that's what I feel and I've experienced and in my uh, interactions with with clients and, and just in my own personal experience. Well, I totally agree. I, I can tell you from the Tokyo 2020 experience, if you if you talk to the people in the back of house, the operational people, when the pandemic hit, uh, there was really no such thing as remote working in Japan. It was very, very minimal. Right. And people were very accustomed to going to the office and spending long hours there. And there were emotional impacts, some adverse emotional impacts from people not being able to go to the office and having those personal connections. But over time, many people realized, hey, it's actually easier to schedule an online meeting with many different stakeholders than it is to try to do it in person, especially if you're trying to bring people from overseas. And they realized that in some ways they could actually be more efficient than than they otherwise would have been because they could gather these people for an hour meeting online and those people didn't they didn't have to travel across town or they didn't have to leave their prefecture and go to a different one or even get on a plane internationally and come from overseas for a meeting it was much easier to hop online for an hour or two and have a and have a meeting and discuss issues than it was to try to just you know all the logistics of trying to big bring large groups of people together can be pretty challenging and so uh, people started to see the merit in some respects of having some remote uh, engagement. And so there were some positive things that came out of it. Well, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's, uh, that's exactly why, you know, I, I think the productivity has gone up and, and have the ability, like I said, to be able to be in Mexico in one minute and Argentina the next. It's just, it, it's what a, what a great opportunity for us to, to be able to have that increase in, in productivity. <laughs>
So, so let's talk about what's what's next, and and how's you know what is your how is what you are learning from this past experience being applied to now, uh, you know, the Winter Olympics here in February. Well, when the pandemic hit and the games in Tokyo were postponed by a year, the IOC and Tokyo 2020 embarked on a on a very detailed exercise of optimization. They looked at this and said, okay, we have a year here where we can challenge every assumption. We can look at every service level that's provided. We can ask ourselves, do we still need to provide this level of service or can we provide a different level of service to the various stakeholders? And uh, a lot of the learnings from that out from that exercise are being applied to Beijing 2022 and future games editions in Paris and in LA. Uh, people are learning how to do things, as I mentioned earlier, more remotely with a smaller workforce on the ground. Uh, thankfully in Beijing, there will be spectators for the athletes. And so uh, even though they're only domestic spectators, but at least uh, they'll have some cheering crowds. I do think that, um, that the International Olympic Committee uh, learned a lot through the Tokyo 2020 experience that ultimately will help make the games more sustainable in the future. And so clearly, I think the the uh, the IOC has made lemons out of the lemon or made lemonade out of the lemons. Is that how you say it? it made lemonade out of lemons that they were dealt. In yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so you didn't get to really participate or see any of the games, right? Uh, very limited. At the very end, I was able to do some um, photo capture, operational photo capture, which allowed me to go out to venues. But for most most of the time I was there, I was in the main press center uh, with the language services team and managing the interpretation. So I didn't really get to see a lot of the events. You know, one of the things we usually start our, our podcast with is, you know, what what have you experienced? Where have you been? We kind of did a little differently this time, but what was the food like in the, in the, in the press center there? I mean, did you get, did you get a lot of good Japanese food or did they just, how did they, how did they do that? I mean, yakisoba or, I mean, what did you have? Well, unlike previous games, they didn't have a lot of restaurants. There wasn't a huge variety. And a lot of that had to do with budget re reductions. Extending the date of the games by a year increases costs substantially. And so, so it was ramen for yeah. breakfast at lunch and dinner. So, so, you know, there was a pizza and burger place and there was a, you know, there was a small food court with a few options and there was a convenience store inside of the main press center, kind of like a Seven Eleven, you know, where you could go and you could get kind of prepackaged meals that you could heat up in a microwave or you could buy corn dogs or <laughs> fried chicken or those kinds of so things. Sounds so exotic. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Or, I mean, prepackaged sushi and, and uh, you know, yeah, many different kinds of food. Um, I can't complain, though. You know, I'm grateful that we had that uh, those options available to us. We were living in a bubble uh, for a period of time, uh, taking COVID tests on a regular basis and, you know, contact tracing and filling out a, the health app every day. You know, I, I think Tokyo 2020 took a lot of precautions to make sure that people were safe. And, uh, you know, I agree with those decisions. So, yeah, well, we weren't a, able to go really out on the ground and experienced a lot of restaurants there while we were there but uh but um uh on the flip side uh the operation was not 
was not impacted. You know? you know, it's a great example of how to have a, a in a massive international event in the midst of a pandemic, and and they were able to manage it. I mean, the whole world was watching, so they had to be super careful. But it was a you know, did, did, were there any major outbreaks? Was it you know what happened as a result? Were, were there precautions enough? I think so. I mean, there, you heard about okay, well, an athlete here or there uh, became infected, or or uh, a worker, you know, a member of the workforce, or a contractor uh, became infected with COVID nineteen, and and of course, it's impossible to uh, you know totally restrict the movements of everybody without being super draconian, and so you know there was a there was an element of trust. Yeah. We trust that the vast majority of people are going to obey the rules and they're going to put in their information in this application. And if they don't, you know, there is a notification saying so, you know, certain people haven't filled out their their health app, you know, for the day and so on and so forth. But it wasn't super draconian, uh, but it was, you know, a lot of it was kind of on the honor system and just making sure that, you know, everybody did what they were supposed to do. And uh, there were isolated, there were isolated pockets, but no major outbreaks, which was the fear of of many, including people in Japan. They were very, very uh, fearful of a major outbreak due to so many international visitors coming into the country. Uh, but again, thankfully, that that didn't happen. You know, this is, uh, you know, I, I wanted to just take a, a few minutes and, and talk about some of the, maybe the human interest stories that, that came out of the Olympics. You know, that it's interesting when, when, when people, when, when you or I or athletes or anybody puts themselves in the public eye, we open ourselves up to criticism, to feedback, to praise, you know, to all, everything. And it's, it's interesting to, to see what people think is okay to say about other people, what they're wearing, what they're, how they look like. And it's so easy for people to be critical and, and also praising and, and, and positive. But there's a lot of stories that came out that I think that we can learn a lot from. You know, one was the Simone Biles story, for example, for, here in the United States. You know, she's such a, a, um, a known figure in the gymnastics world, just a, a talent, an incredible talent. And, and um, you know, just her experience in, in Tokyo was, was very interesting. And just it was, it was, for me, it was really interesting to watch, you know, what people's perspectives of how when she pulled out and, and prioritized her own mental health and, and just also weighing that with the team's needs, you know, knowing that, it is tough to be a, a performer on the world stage and have expectations. And sometimes you get the, 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 the butterflies and, and you, and it's possible just with everything that's going on, you might actually hurt the team or, and hurt yourself in, in that, in that process. And she made the very difficult position to, to pull out of, of some, several, most of the competitions and, and, and got a lot of negative feedback about that. But I think there has been a lot of people that have, you know, rightly identified that we need to prioritize our own mental health well-being sometimes over the needs of the team. Because if you're not at 100%, you're going to hurt the team. 
I mean, you, you could go in there and, and, and give it your all. I mean, you think about when the Industrial Revolution happened. It was okay. Now we're we're trading agri, you know, agrarian society, for um, you know, we're we're, we're going to sign a contract. I'm going to pay you for working in the factory. And what ended up happening is that it was like, um, you know, we're going to work you 150 hours a week, seven days a week. And what happened was that that wasn't productive. I mean, it, people break down just like machines and they're not able to produce at, at a high level. So that's where we ended up getting the, you know, five day work week, you know, went down from maybe 80 hours a week to, to 40 hours a week because it's more productive. And if we don't prioritize our own well-being and, and mental health at, 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 a, at, a, at some level, we're going to have a negative impact on the team. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, I totally agree. And, you know, coming back to the Tokyo 2020 context, when you talk to the operational people, um, it was really, really difficult for many of them because the games were postponed a year. There was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, the public opinion in Japan was trending quite negative towards the Olympic Games. A lot of people were saying we shouldn't host it. It's not safe. Uh, you know, we shouldn't do this. And so that, that created a very, very stressful environment for people to operate in. And not everybody could could deal with that. And I think it was important for, for people such as myself or other people that were in the management team of Tokyo 2020 to give some grace for those who were struggling or those who decided to make a, another choice. You know, well, I need to go back to my regular job uh, or I need to do something else for the that's best for my family. And you know, staying and working the games is not is not in the best interest of my family. And uh, I, I think for many of us, we learn to have a bit more empathy and be a little bit less judgmental. And the, the Simone Biles uh, situation and example, I think, illustrates that. You know, as you mentioned, some people were very critical of her, but I think a lot of people were, were quite empathetic yeah. and understood her situation and... I think we also need to to uh, give that same amount of grace to our colleagues and friends in the in the workplace and our team members and associates. Well, Christian, it's actually you're so right. I mean, it's actually one of the ways that that work has changed is that managers that are thinking that you know the way we behaved and operated before the pandemic was you know we make the contract and you show up and, and do what we want is 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 not going to be reality going forward we have to have a level level of empathy for each other you know it, as as managers you know there's no doubt that we were not above or leaders were not above the anxieties or the frustrations and, and the exhaustion that came from doing more with, with less. I mean, you know, so many people were not working. We had to talking about a small workforce and figuring out all the new technologies and new, I mean, there was, everybody was stressed. And so, you know, as, as leaders in the organization, we're usually better off because we have a little more security. Maybe you make a little bit more, but think about your, your teams and their needs. We just can't go back to the way things used to be. We must have that, that empathy to give people grace, to use your words. Uh, I think it's the way of the future, and we're seeing that here in the in the U.S. You know, with this "quote unquote" great resignation, you know, people now have different expectations for quality of life and work, 
and work-life balance and mental health. And, you know, people are starting to recognize that, you know, we have intrinsic value and uh, people matter and they should be compensated appropriately for that. And they should be treated with respect in the workplace and not necessarily take it for granted. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to really dive into these in, in future podcasts. A couple more stories that, that I was really interested in. There's this, um, Singaporean rower. I guess she's only the second, uh, rower ever. Her name is Joan Poe. And what, what's interesting, I think she figured, uh, she finished 28th out of 32 competitors in the women's single skulls with a time of, uh, eight minutes, I don't know, 21.23, but, but what, what, what you're like, wow, that's really bad. But while we sit at home and criticize, you know, well, somebody from my country, why did they even enter the race and win it? You know, get 28. That's an embarrassment to my country. It's like, no, we should be so proud of someone because what an example of grit, because here she is, she's a nurse um, you know, let, let me see what kind of nurse is she. She works at the, the Tan Tok Seng Hospital and a, as a dialysis nurse. And she is training for the Olympics. While for, for many of us that are criticizing, what are we doing? Binging on, on Netflix or ordering uh, uh, DoorDash, our, our, our meals, not even cooking our own meals. And then we're saying, you know, why should she even enter the Olympics? We didn't do that. Yeah, you, you have to give your hats off to all of the athletes who participate in these games. You know, it was extremely challenging for them. You mentioned a few moments ago, they didn't have spectators. That was a question that was asked in every press conference. Well, how was it, you know, per, how was it performing in front of a, an empty stadium? You know, you had no spectators. How did you motivate yourself? I mean, these athletes, not only did they have to train like they normally do, uh, to qualify for an Olympic Games, and hats off to the 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 young woman from Singapore for doing that. But they had to they had to participate in these games under really challenging circumstances. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, we need to we need to to applaud their participation, not criticize it, because they overcame substantial obstacles just to be there in the first place yeah you know and i that's that and that's the point that i think we 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 need to we need to learn and this is not a any kind of plug for singapore but i have one more singaporeans example it's such a small country i mean it's basically what is it it's like a city almost right i mean it's so small but this country has had several entrance uh, you know in in the in the games and one was a female sprinter the first to represent singapore at the olympics in 65 years so it, it you know it's going to make the the news and her name was veronica shanti perea and she finished 39th overall in the time with 23.96 seconds and what's interesting is um, some people, again, would look at that as a failure. But here's what I think is the great story, Christian. She had a goal to, to, to have a 24-second time as a, as a sprinter. That was her goal, and she beat that goal. She knew she wasn't going to be first, but sometimes we, we measure ourselves so often by, 
by others when we should be measuring ourselves against ourselves. What what is the best I can do? What is what is my target for performance for 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 excellence, right? And I think what happens is, you know, this is a lesson I learned a long time ago. I used to compare myself so often to other people professionally and 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 just financially and everything that they had kind of like, I'm smart. How come I don't have that car or this thing? And, and it just sets us up to be miserable. But when we, when we, when we set our, our standards and, 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 and say, this is what, this is what I am focused on. I'm, I'm going to get better compared to me. That, that releases a lot of anxiety and, and, and comparison that can make us so unhappy. And I think that's a great lesson for life. I totally agree. And Spencer, I really appreciate you, you raising that, that really, really important, important life lesson. Uh, I would say that many of us, if not most of us, will not even attempt something because of the fear of not being the best. So it's like, oh, well, I could never do that. I couldn't participate in the Olympic Games. I couldn't compete in the Olympic Games. So we just stop. So you got to give a lot of props to these people for investing a huge amount of time, knowing that they're not going to be champions, but just pushing themselves to better themselves, to be better people. And yeah, I, I think that's so brilliant of you to, to, to raise that. Oh, now you're just buttering my buns, but thank you for, <laughs> for saying that. But you know, it's it's um I I I I want to get out there and, and not worry about what other people think and just do my absolute best. And it's it, it's it's freeing in many you know in so many ways. And I think there's a lesson for that in terms of psychological safety in organizations that, you know, people are willing to take risks and put themselves out there when they feel safe doing that. And we need to be able to, to create that safety for each other and teams. And we'll talk more about that in the future. But I, there's one more story that I just, and I, and I think you, you know the story about the Qatari and the Italian. And would, would you share that story, what happened? Because to me, it's just, I just love this story. Well, I don't remember the details. I'm sure you've got them in front of you there, but <laughs> but basically they were high jumpers and yes. and they were competing and they both had cleared a, a certain height and they were looking at the next height and whether to go and they were just going against each other. Uh, but they just kind of looked at each other and said, you know what? Why don't we just share the wealth here? And we'll call it a tie. <laughs> right. Uh, well, they, they both had the exact same two point three, seven meters each. And they had the opportunity to do, to do a, uh, a jump off, right? I mean, they could have said, Hey, I want to be, I want to be preeminent. I want to be, I want to have the gold, but they just asked the organizing committee, listen, we both tied. We've, we've all done, we've done all of our jumps. What would happen if we both stood on the stage together? And so often, Christian, I think we think of, of things in life as zero-sum, meaning if there's a winner, there has to be a loser. And the thing I love about this is that 
I don't know if it comes from the culture of, of you know, raising kids today, of just participating. You know, so many young kids playing sports today are just so excited. They get all these awards for participating. Um, that, you know, they've grown up with this idea that, you know what, we don't have to win to get, a, you know, to go out for ice cream after the game. <laughs> but here we are talking about, at the highest level, gold medal. And they're just like, you know what, we can both be winners here. And I just love that idea. And that's one of the ways I think that work has changed. It's like, do we have to pound everybody else into submission? Or can, can we have two companies that are at the top of the industry and, and, and admire each other for that? Uh, I think it's brilliant. Uh, you know, and it goes, I think, right along the lines of Tokyo 2020 challenging assumptions. You know, why do we have to have one winner and the rest losers, as you say, why can't, okay, we're in this situation. Can we both be winners here? Uh, I'm curious though, Spencer, and your work and your experience, uh, either as a, as a coach or as an executive, is there any, is there any specific experience that you can kind of harken back to and think to yourself, Oh, you know what? We created a situation here, which was win-win. It was not win-lose, um, uh, you know, rather than having that scarcity mentality, it's an abundance mentality. We can, we can, we can both win here, whether it was a negotiation with a client or with an employee, you know, a situation where you both felt like you came out as winners. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. And the answer is yes. And I was like, oh, no, going through my mind, because this was totally unrehearsed question. Way to go. Put me on the spot here. But, um, you know, I, I, I had a situation, it was a very difficult situation, where um, a longtime employee was, I mean, 17 years with an organization. And I, I don't want to tell it what kind of organization or anything because I, you know, this is it, it, this is a very difficult case. Um, but this individual was someone that was just dedicated, hardworking, um, committed, you know, brilliant, good at planning, but very transactional and very um, was not one that that liked to spend a lot of time with with people. So. Uh, came across very intense and very harsh, and so in in the environment that that this individual worked in was not received very well by some of uh, their employees and also by their peers. An HR investigation was conducted, and um, and, and and with the feedback from the peers, there was this um, really the, the, there was almost like a witch hunt to uh, to get rid of this individual. Now. The head of the organization felt like this person uh, needed another chance, but that was a very that was a very tricky thing to be able to do. How do you how do you get everyone else's buy-in and not you know show favoritism and and save this person's career? And so um, we had you know an HR third-party company come in and, and do investigations and this individual had to understand the seriousness of, of their behavior because if they were unwilling to change they would definitely be going away I mean from the company not <laughs> you know, there was no crimes but it was definitely uh, abuse in terms of, of you know leadership responsibility and, and fiduciary trust and uh, probably warranted uh, firing initially but 
um, the individual was uh, contrite and, and interested in, in, in changing their behavior. And so we had to create a plan for that to rebuild trust with peers and, and their own staff. And it was, it was a very difficult process. And what basically came out of that was trust was rebuilt and behaviors changed. And, you know, that's a, that, I, I think that's an example of um, you could save somebody's career if, if you're serious enough and you want to, and you want to change that, that behavior. And it, you know, I, I think that person, I mean, you could have gone either way, it could have been justified, but the, the leader of the organization wanted to, wanted to be able to, to give him that, that chance. And it, it took time and, and so far so good with, uh, you know, people winning in the terms of wanted him fired, but now they've got a changed person that who's who's behaving differently and treating people with respect and the person being able to to keep their job i don't know does that is that fair it's totally fair because it shows that in these circumstances people can do things differently they can do things a better way which is the whole point of this conversation in our podcast, what we're trying to do is trying to find ways, a better way to do things, right? Well, that is right. And, and you know, that kind of brings us to, to the end of today. Today has been interesting because we've been experimenting a little bit here. This has all been produced live. So how's it, how has the experience been for you so far, Christian? Uh, very leisurely because I haven't had to push all the buttons and everything. Uh, you've been the Wizard of Oz there. Nobody's seen your hands, you know, frantically pushing all these different buttons and triggering these different videos and all this kind of stuff and changing us from split screen to full screen and and vice versa. So it's been, I, I've been great I've got for all me. This technology. I've got to learn how to use it though, so to make it easy where I don't even have to think about it. But it it, it has been a little different for me. For I'm sure it has. Well, Spencer, it's been a lot of fun going on this maiden voyage of the, the new ship uh, teamwork a better way with you. It has been fun, and, and I'm so grateful that uh, you're willing to come back and, and be on the on the show with me. And, you know, I, I, I know you got a lot on your plate, so much you're thinking about uh, with your family and your, and your roles, but... Any, any last thoughts or things that you want to share as we start wrapping up today and, and our, 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 our rebrand of teamwork a better way? I'm, I'm so excited. I think we have so much to offer our listeners. Uh, well, I don't really have any closing thoughts other than say, Spencer, you have a lot to offer people. If people want to get a hold of you and, and uh, learn more about what, the, what you're doing, the good work that you're doing, how do they do it? Oh, thank you, man. Reach out to me on, on LinkedIn, Spencer Horn. You'll find me very easily or email me at spencer at altiumleadership.com. That's A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. And how about you, Christian? I mean, I know people are needing to get in touch with you. How do they reach you? Uh, you can just go to uh, my website, uh, gp4.com, gpfour.com, or you can just email me cnapier at gp4.com okay spencer thanks so much it's been a lot of fun and i look forward to the next step in our journey me too you guys until we talk to you again soon <laughs>